Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everyone, welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. As we're hundred benefiting Autism Speaks from Dover International Speedway and resulted in Kevin Harvick's 41st career in Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series victory and the fourth of the 2018 season. Harvick dominated the event, leading more than half the laps at 201 laps of the race's 400 laps. He won by over seven seconds. There was no doubt once he got around Clint Boyer who the man in charge was going to be, who the man going to victory lane was going to be. Clint Boyer finished second. Daniel Suarez racked up his best career finish in third. Then it was Martin Truex Jr. and Kurt Busch rounding out the top five. All but 26 laps, John Harlow, were led by four drivers. Uh, Ford's had an upper hand on this season so far in 2018, and it looks like it continued that way today at Dover. Harvick goes to victory lane. What were your thoughts there uh, on the AAA 400 at Dover today? Well, with no doubt, Kevin Harvick was the dominant car all day long. It was just a matter of whether or not um, he was able to get by Boyer whenever it was coming time. I mean, <coughs> excuse me, in case you, whenever you watch the race, one of the things you picked up was um, if you were in front and you had clean air, you were in good shape. And it took, there was one time Keselowski was leading, it took, Harvick about 15, 20 laps to finally get to the point where he could pass him. And then once he got by, he pulled away. I mean, Harvick was able to get through traffic a little bit here and there. I mean, I think the lowest he was all day was maybe seventh after a round of fifth sequences where people stayed out. But once he finally got to the front, there was no stopping him. I mean, at one point, him and Boyer were running exact same time laps with whenever Boyer was leading. But then when Harvick got around him, he pulled out to a seven-second win with no um, no trouble in between. I mean, he just was able to pull a tenth a, tenth a lap or something out on on Boyer, and just was phenomenal day for Kevin Harvick. A phenomenal day for Stuart Haas Racing. Three cars in the top five, and then um, Almirola ran well. I mean, he ran better than his finish was. So it was a great day for Stuart Haas Racing. I mean, Keselowski ran good in the Ford. It's another great day for the Fords, and um, it just was a dominating performance by a Ford team <clears throat> again. It really was. I mean, Harvick, look at what he's done this season so far and what Stuart Haas Racing has done so far this season. They're far and away the best, even the Ford team. You know, I talked about Ford leading a lot of laps today. We saw Brad Keselowski in the early stages of the event lead a lot of laps. He did a really good job. He ended up sixth. It just seems like no matter what, that Stuart Haas team and that four car, they seem to find it. Uh, whether it's, you know, Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick, it doesn't matter what kind of racetrack. When they get into a groove, there's no stopping them. Um, and if their car is close, they're going to they're gonna take it and probably win with it. Where Kozlowski today, very good, had a very good race car, uh, led a lot of laps, like I said, but they ended up sixth, so a little bit disappointing finish when you look at that because they had a better car than that early on in the race. But it just seems like um, as these races go along here that Ronnie Childers and Kevin Harvick get their car better and better and better. And, it, and they proved that, winning by seven seconds um, and really lapping all the way up until the uh, 
14th place car. There was only 13 cars on the on the lead lap. You have to wonder if it wasn't for the rain and for the amount of cautions we have with the stages, how many cars would have been on the lead lap. And we've, I feel like we've said that about a lot of Harvick's wins this year. So as the race continues to go along here, it seems like Kevin Harvick and, and that four car gets better and better as the race goes on. Yeah, it does. I mean, if there's one thing you look at, when Harvick wins, there's no question about it. It's not one of those he pulls it out and gets gets by by a thump fender like Allgaier and uh, Elliott Sadler did in the Xfinity race. When Harvick wins, he dominates. I mean, granted, he t- it took him a while to get to the front in Phoenix. It took him a while to get to the front in Vegas. But this performance at Dover was almost like Atlanta, where he just was start to finish. There was nobody going to get in his way. Um, Jeff Gordon and Daryl Waltrip talked about it on the broadcast. Whenever they were looking at 10-lap averages, and Harvick was always within a tenth of – I mean, he was always within a tenth of every every lap within the 10-lap sequence. They knew Harvick's car was going to be legit for the long run. And if you saw the one thing he was able to do, at Dover, getting through the center of the turn is what's going to win, win or lose you the race. And nobody was better getting through the center than Harvick especially when he was able to get on the bottom. But if he had to run a lane up, he was able to dime in the corner and get a good run coming off on the high side. And that's where he won the race. The ability of Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick to figure out what that car needed to get through the turns at Dover. Because when you look, half the track at Dover's turns. And you need that momentum coming off to get down those straightaways. And Harvick and Rodney Childers and that Stuart Haas team, they put it together and had it set. Uh, another great run for Clint Boyer in second place. He led a lot of laps, but he sort of knew when he said in the post-race interview, he knew whenever they took the green after the, the red flag for rain, that the car was turning too good. And normally you want to start it tight because it loosens up during the run. He said it was turning great off the front. So he knew he was going to be in trouble 30, 40 laps down the road. Yeah. And, and unfortunately for Boyer, he ended up second, but a very, very good run for him. He seems to be having a really strong year this year, you know, one Martinsville, gets into the playoffs, and now a, a runner-up finish to his teammate Kevin Harvick here at Dover. Daniel Suarez, this seems this racetrack seems to be one of his favorites, has finished in the top ten in all three starts here at Dover in the Cup Series. A third-place finish today, uh, the highest-finishing Toyota. You can't say that about him much uh, when he does that. Uh, Martin Trix Jr. finished fourth, too, as well. Um, you know, interesting day. I think Suarez did a very, very good job. He's got, got off to a slow start this year, but he seems to be – Rattling off some top ten finishes here, uh, three straight top tens it looks like. Now, uh, on his season, moving up a little bit in the points, I'm still not convinced that team is where they need to be. I think they need to do this a couple of more times and if I want to consider them a playoff contender. Um, but a, a very good day and a step in the right direction uh, for that team as they get ready to go to Kansas. And Martin Trix Jr., uh, you know, started third, was very, very fast, John. But it just seems like the magic from that 78 car it seems to be gone this year. They're not, whether or not it's the Toyotas are a little bit behind compared to the Stuart Haas cars, but uh, right now that 78 isn't leading a lot of laps, not winning stages like they did a year ago. Uh, a, a very good day, no doubt about it. Fourth, you'll take it, but not what we're accustomed to seeing here in the last year and a half with Stuart Haas, with um, with the uh, Furniture Racing Team. Well, I mean, he's been dominant on the mile and a half with the Furniture Racing Team the past year and a half. Dover is his home track. He got his first win in the uh, Cup Series at Dover. But it just seems like they haven't been able to finish off at Dover. They've run well, but they haven't been able to seal the deal with the Furniture Row Group. Um, Because normally Jimmy Johnson's win everything at Dover. Um, But today, 
and I was talking to my brother-in-law today. We were, um, one, he was asking about Hendrick Motorsports and its sort of slide. And, I mean, I, there's almost two things I say that contributes to it. One is the group at Stuart Haas because then you had eight drivers who were legit. Well, at least seven when Danica was there. But you had eight drivers and eight crew chiefs participating in the competition. And now it's down to four. And Stuart Haas has just continued to get more support from Ford. And Ford treats them like a lead team. And at Chevrolet, they were just a satellite for Hendrick Motorsports. And Tony Stewart wanted to build for the future. I think that's a great move. The extra year of having notes now that they know what the Ford can do. And Rodney Childers and Rex Stump and the engineering staff back at Stuart Haas Racing worked on it over the winter and came out on fire. I mean, if you think about it, if Austin Dillon doesn't wreck Eric Almirola on the last lap of the Daytona 500, three of the four Stuart Haas cars would have won. Yep. It's been that kind of year for that organization, no doubt about it. I think um, when you look at how good they've been, and Kurt Busch, we've seen some, some – some real nice stuff from him this year. Uh, they weren't great early on in the event, came back and battled back and finished fifth. Good job by him. I mentioned Kozlowski earlier. He finished sixth. Then you had Denny Hamlin in seventh, Ryan Blaney eighth, Jimmy Johnson ninth, and Kyle Larson tenth. A lot to dissect there in positions six through ten. Brad Kozlowski was good early on. He picked the loss to handle a little bit, finished sixth. But track position here at Dover today was very, very essential. We saw uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. on old tires pull away from the field on a restart, led 24 laps, ended up finishing 15th. But it just shows how much track position meant, even on old tires. Um, so I think his last lost his track position, was never able to really find it after that. Then he had Denny Hamlin, who just never seemed to get in a groove today. Uh, they had a, an issue on pit road, and it just never seemed to, to, to find it again. He finished 7th. Ryan Blaney, eighth. And then you have two very interesting drivers in ninth and tenth. This was Jimmy Johnson's, uh, you know, bread and butter. This was his best racetrack. We saw him run in the top five earlier. He ended up ninth. A little bit of a disappointing finish for him when you think about it. You go, this is Dover. This is a track where he usually goes out. And no matter how bad of a season he's having, usually goes out and gives it a solid, solid run. And that's a ninth is bad, but never really contended for the lead. Never really uh, was, a, was a contender for victory. He finished ninth. A little bit disappointing there. And same thing with Kyle Larson. He had some issues getting through tech, had to go to the rear of the field after, after taking the pole on Friday during qualifying. Uh, never really got that track position. Fell two laps down after a pit road issue again, a pit road penalty again. Had to fight his way back. Did a nice job finishing 10th. But a, a, a disappointing day. I'm sure a lot of people had Larson on their fantasy team. A disappointing day for Kyle Larson to finish 10th today. Yeah, I think uh, the two big stories out of the – fifth through 10th is Kurt Busch finishing fifth because they got penalized for a loose wheel getting off and going actually cross pit road. So he had to do, a, do the pass through and everything and wound up losing a lap, come back and worked his way up to the top five. And that shows how good that car was running because he had to get through traffic to get back up there. And Kyle Larson uh, finishing 10th, coming back from two laps down, getting the lucky dog once, taking the wave around once and just good day for Larson. I mean, it's not good when you don't make it through tech and your car chief gets sent home and you get sent to the rear of the field, but championship teams um, find ways to overcome those big issues and to start 38th and finish 10th for Kyle Larson when he should have started on the pole. That's a win for that group considering the way they started and the way the day could have been. Um, Jimmy Johnson, it was interesting that Daryl Waltrip said throughout the race, 
and I've never heard Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson described like this at Dover. He's putting in a workmanlike effort. He's hanging around 14th, and then the next thing you know, he's ninth, and the next thing you know, he's fourth. And that was about as far forward as he went. It was a, it was a, it was a grind for Jimmy Johnson today, and that's something we don't hear about at Dover. But the grind might be the start of some sort of improvement because, I mean, heck, top tens have been few and far between for Johnson. And the interesting point that Mike Joy brought up is Jimmy Johnson has not led a lap this year. Picture that. Seven-time NASCAR Cup champion Jimmy Johnson has not led a lap in 2018. And I think today, when you think about what happened today, you know, he had a very good day. You talked about him moving up. He got the fourth. He finished stage two and fourth, finished stage one and eighth. And it, it looked like Chad Knauss got a little bit snookered a little bit, and he made a mistake, which is very rare for Chad Knauss as a crew chief. He does a, he's a great crew chief. You know, we've seen him win seven championships with Jimmy Johnson, and he's usually the guy who is a trendsetter. And today uh, he pitted, took four tires, lost a lot of track position because he thought more cars would come in and pit behind him on one of the pit stops. Jimmy had to restart from the 16th position, and it seemed like that 48 just never found the track position after that. Um, and, it, and it just seemed like they, they were able to get to ninth, but once they lost that track position, they could never gain it back. The cars ran so close, and the lap times were so close, Jimmy Johnson was never able to gain the positions that he lost, and it ended up finishing ninth. Uh, Same problem Joey Logano. I'm going to say we're getting to the yeah. 11 through 15th, and you'll hear about Joey Logano in there. Same problem happened to him. He had an issue on pit road, which caught him trapped trap back in 15th, 16th, and he was barely moving anywhere. And that car was a top 10 car throughout most of the day until the pit road issue, and he wound up running 10th to 15th the rest of the day. Yeah, he ended up 13th last car in the lead lap. Eric Amarola was 11th, Chase Elliott 12th, Logano 13th, William Byron was 14th, the rookie Stenhouse 15th, 16th was Jamie McMurray, 17th Casey Kane, Eric Jones 18th, 19th, Trevor Bain, and Chris Busher were your top 20 today at Dover. Uh, 11 through 20, some interesting names in there. You talked about Amarola. Uh, he had a very fast car in practice. A lot of people, I think, expected more from him today as well. Same deal with Chase Elliott. Chase has never finished outside the top five at Dover. Today goes out and finishes 12th. Um, you know, that there's no doubt Hendrick Motorsports and Chevrolet is a little bit behind. The highest finishing Chevrolet today, ninth with Jimmy Johnson, and this is a racetrack Hendrick Motorsports usually runs very, very well at. Uh, what are your thoughts there on Amarola and Elliott? Well, I think Amarola, they just started off. I mean, they ran great in practice, but the temperature was different than they ran in practice yesterday, and it was um, – they just didn't seem to have it right off the bat. But they could move around. I mean, they made – he made progress throughout the race. And – there was a couple times where it's like all you did. It just seemed like if you got to a certain spot, you weren't passing whoever was next. Everybody was. It, it was tough to pass there. Um, you saw what happened with Harvick trying to get by Boyer. It took him almost 15 laps to get by Boyer, but then once he got by Boyer, he he drove away and there was nobody near him. He won by seven seconds. Had the same problem whenever he was trying to pass Keselowski in the second stage. Wound up getting by him, winning the stage. But it took him 20, 30 laps to get by Keselowski. When you're trying to get from 18th to the top 10, and it takes 20, 30 laps to get by somebody, you're you're hopefully going to make the top 10 because it's just one of those things that take you run out of laps before you can make the move you need. 
yeah, no, there was no doubt it was tough to pass. The track position was essential today uh, at Dover, and a lot of people lost track position. Like you said, Joey Logano had a problem on pit road. He was never really able to recover. Then you had William Byron, a rookie. Dover's a really tough racetrack for a driver going there for the first time. A decent day for William Byron, no doubt about that. I don't think um, he set the world on fire at all, but a decent day for him there. And, and Stenhouse, we saw some decent things from Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He, he qualified fifth, led a little bit. Um, I think the pit strategy and being on older tires hurt him and was never really to gain his track position. He ended up in the 15th spot. But, you know, like we talk about Stenhouse all year long, we've seen some flashes. Today they knew he was there, as they say. Led 24 laps, finished 15th. What about Logano, Byron, and Stenhouse there in 13th, 14th, and 15th there, John? I think it was a good effort for uh, Byron. I mean, Logano got burnt by pit road. And like I said, it takes 20, 30 laps to get by somebody because of how good clean air is at Dover. So Logano just wasn't able to get going. I think it was a good day for Byron because Dover is tough. I mean, you actually almost fly through the air going off the the transition from the straightaway into the uh, bottom groove in the turn. I mean, it's almost like you're on a roller coaster. And you could see those cars going into three wiggling like there was nobody's business. So it was a good day for Byron because you go into Dover, it's one of those tracks that's really tough. I mean, Bristol's tough on you. The concrete's a whole lot different than everything else. Byron had a good, solid day in 14th. And in 15th, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., um, the one thing you did see is tires made a difference at Dover, but about 40 laps into the run. If you were in clean air with old tires, you were okay for a while. But then the tires would give up on you and – um, you wound up falling back, but it was a good day for Stenhouse. He did show himself. He, um, people knew he was there. He ran well throughout the entire race. It wasn't like he was bouncing off the walls or going to a backup car or something like that. They just, um, had a tire strategy that just didn't play out well for them. The one thing with Stenhouse and continues to say is Roush Yates. I mean, Jack Roush, Roush Fenway can, uh, hang your hat on Ricky Stenhouse right now because the difference between Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Trevor Bain was night and day. It's like me and Harvick. Yeah, and, it, and next week, uh, Matt Kenseth gets into that six car at Kansas Speedway. Uh, 16th spot, McMurray. Then you had Casey Kane, 17th, 18th, Eric Jones, you aforementioned Trevor Bain in 19th, and Chris Buescher, 20th. And I know uh, we talked about Bain. I think he actually had a better day, the, day than what he's shown in the past. Um, he, he ran in the top 20 for a good part of the day, ended up 19th. A little disappointing for Eric Jones when you look at him in 18th. Uh, that's Joe Gibbs' car. Had some issues, but uh, a little bit disappointing today. Casey Kane, one of his best runs of the year. I know he finished 17th, and that doesn't seem like a great finish. Um, but he was up in the top 15 for most of the day. That's a team that's building um, and, and getting better as the weeks go on. They had a little bit of sponsorship this week, which is nice to see. So a good day for Casey Kane as well there in 17th. And Chris Buescher, top 20. Uh, he was the best affiliated car out of the Richard Childress Racing, at least the engine program. Uh, it was Levine family team there in 17th. And then Chris Busher in 20th from the RCR uh, engine car, powered cars, I should say. Um, so not a very good day out of that that uh, engine department there. But what do you say about uh, positions 16th through 20th? Um, a couple of guys with decent days and a couple of guys who struggled. Yeah, I think Eric Jones struggled more than we thought he would. I mean, you look at the performance of Daniel Suarez, Kyle Busch, and Denny Hamlin compared to Eric Jones. It just seemed like they were out to lunch, and they were back in the mid-pack most of the day. 
and fighting to get close to the lead lap. That you always heard that Jones was almost in contention for the lucky dog. The one thing with Casey Kane that was impressive, I mean, Ollie's Bargain Outlet does sponsor his uh, World of Outlaws print car team, so it was nice to see them come on board. But also it was nice to see the 95 getting mentioned because I think Casey Kane got more TV time today than he has all year combined. And I think that's a good stepping stone for Levine Family Racing as they move forward. Casey Kane gets more and more comfortable with that group. Absolutely. And again, it was a statement run, a run where you can feel better about yourself. Kane's had a really tough year. I think he's 28th in the standings right now. But 17th at Dover, you say, okay, we're making progress here. And that's what you got to do with a single-car operation. He's got um, a team that, that's really building. Uh, not a terrible day out of there for Casey Kane. So good job there. Position 21 to 30. Uh, lots of dynamics here as well with a couple of, of issues. Uh, a couple guys who had issues. Adrian Amending on 21st. Then Michael McDowell on 22nd. A, good, a decent day considering – he was uh, spun on the front stretch, on the back stretch there, about 20, 30 laps, not even about 15 laps into the race. Uh, he was able to salvage a decent day in 22nd, then Alex Bowman in 23rd, Ty Dillon 24th, Bubba Wallace, who was in the same wreck with McDowell, had some damage on his 43 car. He finished 25th. Austin Dillon, who started at the rear and was never able to recover, he finished 26th. David Reagan struggled all day. He was 27th. Ross Chastain, 28th. Matt Benedetto who had a really fast car, qualified pretty good, uh, but I think I had a tire issue under green. And when you're a team like that, uh, to hit twice under green really hurts you, and he lost a couple of spot, uh, laps he was never able to make up, so he finished 29th. And Greg Galding in 30th in the Earth Water car for BK Racing. Uh, what stood out for you in the guys 21st through 30th, John? Well, I think Michael McDowell had a really good run considering the way his day started. I mean, it was lap three when Bubba Wallace hit him in the tail end and spun him around. The, the, one of the things I thought was most important and best about it is Michael McDowell. Dover's a self in A lot of times you're going to find the inside wall. And Michael McDowell somehow kept himself off the inside wall. All there was was a little bit of rear fender damage from where Bubba wound up jacking him up in the rear end. But Michael McDowell salvaged, salvaged a decent day for front row motorsports. Um, Bubba Wallace little antsy too early. I mean, I'm not going to tap somebody on, in the tail end on lap three at Dover. I mean, maybe lap 393, you'll think about it, but not lap three. And it put him behind the eight ball all day long. Yeah, it really did. And, and uh, you know, just a tough day. I think, again, track position was key. Aerodynamics were key. Um, and, and Austin Dillon started in the rear, and he was never able to get – uh, back, even though he quali- originally qualified 27th, but he was never able to really um, find the groove, and he had problems with the fl- front splitter of that car. So that's going to be interesting to see what the penalty is on that three car after this week. I know he finished five laps down on 26, and he go, eh. But you know, NASCAR came out and said, do not touch the splitter. That they're going to be very, very, um, you know, strict on the splitter this week. And the only guy they really banked for that was Austin Dillon. So keep your eyes on an extra penalty um, for Austin Dillon in that three car. Uh, positions 31 to 38, we're going to finish up the field here quick. Uh, Landon Castle in 31st, Reed Sorensen 32nd. Ryan Newman had some issues uh, with underneath the race car. He finished 33rd. Paul Menard had some issues as well. He finished 34th. A broken drive shaft for Kyle Busch, something you hardly ever see out of the Joe Gibbs racing stables. They fin- he finished 35th. After really running the top five all day long, um, but he felt the vibration early, felt the vibration for most of the race, 
and said, there's something's going to break on this race car. Um, so he finished 35th. But what you have to keep in mind about that 35th place finish for Kyle Busch, he got points that would have put him in 18th because of where he finished in the first two stages. He finished second and third in stage one and two, got 19 points, which would be 18th in the standing. So not a – it was a bad day, but it would have been worse if he didn't finish where he did in the stages. So uh, a mediocre day for Kyle Busch at, there. Cody Ware finished uh, 36th, then it was Derek Cope, and then Corey LaJoy rounded out the field with a blown engine 20 laps into the race there at TriStar Motorsports. Um, but what were your overall thoughts today on the racing at Dover, John? Um, uh, you know, I feel like in some early on in the race there was some passing, but once the rain came down and washed a lot of the rubber off the racetrack, uh, I just feel like you know all of a sudden the cars just didn't really go anywhere. Um, what were your thoughts on, on the racing today at AAA 400 for uh, Dover International Speedway? Well, I think uh, Goodyear brought a good tire that would have been great if it was 400 consecutive miles. Uh, you can see the track leveling up. I, I was actually watching race my brother-in-law today. We were talking about how dark it was getting because the right side rubber was given up. And they were putting rubber down. And once the rubber got down, you had to search and find new ways to get around the track. But once that rain came and it turned into a 70-lap sprint, um, the temperature dropped 15 degrees. It dropped down to 65, the ambient temperature outside, which means more horsepower. And the rubber washed off, which meant more grip. So they were basically running qualifying laps the last 70 miles or 70 miles of the race. And once you're out front, if you're running qualifying laps, no one's going to catch you because you've got that little bubble of air that makes it almost impossible. And Harvick just pulled away. And he was able to pass lap traffic high, low, in between. Just was one of those days where that four car was on a rail. And we've seen it several times this year. Absolutely. And I think that's what uh, you look at and you say, Man, has and you look at the points right now and, and where these guys are and how many playoff points these teams have. You know, um, right now the, the, the two drivers who have really distanced themselves as far as playoff points are concerned are Kevin Harvick with 19 and Kyle Busch with 17. Now they have four. Harvick has four wins. Kyle Busch has three. You know, Martin Truex Jr. has a win. Um, Clint Boyer has a win. Joey Logano's got a win. Austin Dillon's got a win. Uh, but you know, it's really been a season dominated by two drivers. Now, we've talked about this at length this year. When you look at um, right now, we'll say, oh, well, who, 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 as far as, you know, who's the cha- the favorite right now for the championship? And I think, you know, as much as we see Martin, Martin Truex Jr. on these mile-and-a-half tracks be dominant, and really that's where you need to be good on, is on these mile-and-a-half tracks because that makes up the majority of our schedule. But to me, Martin Truex Jr. and F78 team, they need to prove that that magic is still there because – I think right now they're a little bit more they're a little bit more behind than they expected to be. Dover's one of his best racetracks, and it turned out to be not a very great race for Martin Truex Jr. These last five weeks, he's had some issues. He's losing his momentum. Uh, we'll see what happens at Kansas next weekend because it's a mile and a half track. But right now, in my opinion, John, if the playoffs started today, the two championship favorites would be Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch, and I think they've really distanced themselves away from the field right now. Oh, I think they have as well. And one of the things you look last year, the bread and butter for Truex was the mile-and-a-half tracks. Harvick's already won two. Harvick's won uh, four races this year. He won at Phoenix like he always does. He won at Vegas, which is a playoff race, the opening race of the playoffs. He won at Phoenix, which is next to the last in the playoffs. And now he's won at Dover, which is in the playoffs. 
So he's got three playoff tracks where he's already knocked off a win at. So they're going into the playoffs with notebooks where they are confident with what they're walking in with right now, and they'll just make that better. So, I mean, I look at it, if you if you're Harvick, you're pretty comfortable because you've won races in three of the ten playoff tracks. Yeah, that's a very good point, John. And, and um, I think it's something that will be a, an advantage to the four car as the season goes on. Um, and it, and the Kansas is a race that's in the chase, so we'll, uh, in the playoffs, I should say. So we'll see what what goes on um, with that four car as the season goes on here, and we get to more and more playoff tracks. Um, you know, again, John, we, we didn't really see a great race from the Chevrolet Brigade. Jimmy Johnson, ninth place, was the highest finishing Chevrolet. Kyle Larson took the pole, and he was very good in the practice sessions. It looked like maybe Larson would have something for him. He had a lot of issues, was was uh, two laps down at one point in the race, was one lap down for the majority of the race, ended up 10th, but the highest Chevrolet in points is Larson, and he's in 10th. And Eric Amarola was three points back in 11th. Um, we've been waiting for these Chevrolets here now to sort of find it with this new Camaro to sort of turn the corner and say, okay, um, when is, when is Chevrolet going to find the speed in this Camaro that they need to have? Because this Camaro apparently was built for faster race cars to be a faster car. Um, do you think Chevrolet will find it here? Um, because we're starting to get late in the season now. We're starting to get into the midpoint of the year where you're sitting there going, man, maybe Chevrolet does just doesn't have it. And they need to make some, some uh, adjustments to this Camaro. What are your thoughts on the Chevrolet teams? Um, and will they find it here in the coming weeks? I think uh, there's still a shot at they're going to find it. I mean, Rick Hendrick puts everything that he has into making those teams successful, and I can see the midnight oil burning there. I wonder. One of the things I wonder, though, is <clears throat> last year Darian Grubb was in charge of the chassis at Hendrick Motorsports. And he was more, it was basically his job to make sure the chassis were built for all four cars. And now Darian Grubb is on a pit box. He's on the pit box for William Byron, and William Byron is doing decent for being a rookie. But I wonder how much Darian Grubb's change of role at Hendrick Motorsports has played in this. The other thing is Rex Stump is now two years at Stuart Haas Racing, not at Hendrick Motorsports as the main chassis guy. Um, that's got to make a difference. Uh, not having the feedback of Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Casey Kane, who have been on these tracks for dozens of years. And you're getting the feedback from Chase Elliott, who's three years into his career. Alex Bowman, who's several years in, but only like 11 races into real equipment, except for what he filled in for Jr. And you've got William Byron, who's still trying to figure out himself, let alone provide information to the team. So I think not having... The partnership with Stuart Haas that uh, Hendrick Motorsports used to have. And I also think the change in drivers, getting younger, getting um, uh, the new group together, I think there's growing pains. And then add on the new Chevrolet to that, that it doesn't seem like anybody's really figured out. And you're looking at a long season for Hendrick Motorsports. But if there's any group who will find a way to put it together, it will be them. I mean, you've seen it many a times where Jimmy Johnson usually strikes early in the season and then all summer long kind of is just there. And then when the 10 race playoffs come around, look out, here comes the 48. Because Chad's usually tinkering and experimenting all summer long. 
Right now, Chad Knauss doesn't have the ability to tinker and figure things out. He's got a race to keep himself in contention because they don't have that win to fall back on like they've had in previous years. Yeah, it's it's a really unique situation for that 48 team. We've seen them win a race every single season Jimmy of Jimmy Johnson's career. And uh, Chad's been a part of that as well. Um, we see him make the playoffs every single year of the playoffs since 2004. And right now they sit 12th in the standings, which you look at it and say, that's not great. But considering they've had a tough year, um, they're in a decent spot to make the playoffs. You know, unless four guys outside the top 16 win a race, which I don't think is going to happen at this point, um, Jimmy probably makes this playoffs. But he can't fall back anymore. He's got Eric Jones there. He's got Alex Bowman, his own teammate. Then he got Chase Elliott. And Chase is an interesting guy himself, John. Um, man, every, it seems like this kid is, is good everywhere. He's solid everywhere. He has good practice sessions. He qualifies good. He's got speed. Um, we've seen him finish second like eight times already in his career. If I put you on a spot right now, does Chase Elliott get his first win here in 2018? Yes. I think he will. Uh, like I said, I don't think Hendrick Motorsport. I don't think Hendrick Motorsports can be out to lunch all year long. Um, racing is cyclical. I mean, you watch. Somebody can dominate. You've seen it the one year. Um, matter of fact, it was, um, I want to say, the year last year. We were, what, 13 races into the season before a Joe Gibbs Racing team won. And then mm-hmm. everybody started with him. And Kyle Busch finished second in the, final, in the playoffs, I mean, second in the championship standings. To Martin Truex, a car that was basically a Joe Gibbs car. I mean, Truex would, would win, but none of the other Joe Gibbs cars would make a difference until about Mother's Day weekend. And that's when Joe Gibbs racing came to life last year. Uh, Kyle Busch, he's, he's all over the place. He's all over it right now. Denny Hamlin's coming on strong. Um, it was a good, imp- nice day for Daniel Suarez. He's starting to show that he may be able to make it, that he's more than just Carlos Slim's money coming into the camp. He could be a solid driver. He won an Xfinity championship. So you're hoping that that falls into place. And Eric Jones, everybody thought he's been the next thing since sliced bread last year when he ran uh, for furniture row. And then when they brought him back to Joe Gibbs and he's been okay, nothing special. He hasn't really been leading laps either last year or this year. He's been a top 15, top 20 car, but he has, I mean, he's had a couple top 10, but nothing special. Um, and to me, I could have buyer's remorse being Joe Gibbs whenever um, Matt Kenseth could be sitting in that 20 car. I mean, it was really yeah. interesting listening to that. I mean, we've talked about Joe Gibbs racing whenever Kenseth first came there, that Bush and Denny Hamlin both said they learned so much about how to car, how to run the car, how to uh, be patient and get yourself to the end from Matt Kenseth. And that's not there now. And you replace Matt Kenseth with Eric Jones, and Eric Jones hasn't even proven himself yet. And when they asked Joe Gibbs about what he thought about Matt Kenseth coming back to the Cup Series, they asked him at Dover this weekend, and he says, it is fantastic. He is phenomenal for his sponsors. He's phenomenal for the race team. He is phenomenal as a person. So he's got Joe Gibbs' ringing endorsement. But I think it, I don't know if it was Joe Gibbs who made the decision or Toyota that made the decision that Eric Jones is in Joe Gibbs' car this year and not Matt Kenseth. And next week we'll be able to see what kind of difference Matt Kenseth brings to the team because he'll be driving Trevor Bain stuff. And I think Matt Kenseth, the driver, can take a 17th place car for um, 
Trevor Bain and probably put it in the top ten. I think he's that much of a difference in that car. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what he does next week for sure. An interesting stat this year that I don't think a lot of people have touched on, and this is where I get my concern for Chevrolet is one Chevrolet driver has playoff points going into this going uh, after, so far in this season. That's Austin Dillon with his victory in the Daytona 500. Nobody, they have no other stage wins. Uh, Chevrolet hasn't won a stage this year at all. Larson's 10th in the standings. He's the best Chevrolet guy. He hasn't won a stage. Jimmy Johnson hasn't won a stage this year. Chase Sellian hasn't won a stage this year. Norris Bowman. It's just a little concerning. Um, but, you know, Joey Arcaro, and I talk about this, you know, right now, um, and, and I say, well, you know, we're, we're in groups where I think you start looking at points and everything. We're 11 races into the season, almost, you know, um, close to halfway through the regular season. Two more races and we're halfway through the regular season. I think you start looking at drivers who are going to miss the playoffs and saying, well, that, if that driver doesn't win a race, they're going to miss the playoffs. And I feel like there's a couple of drivers back there who I think a lot of people had making the playoffs this year that'll miss. One guy in particular, and he had a tough day today and, and some mechanical issues out of his control, that's Paul Menard. A lot of people have been talking about Paul Menard uh, going to Wood Brothers Racing and really having a, a solid year. And he won a stage last weekend at Talladega. But right now he sits 21st in the standings. It has not been a great year from that 21 car. Um, and, and a team that made the playoffs last year with Ryan Blaney, they won at Pocono. And there's still a ways to go, but if that 21 car doesn't pick it up here, he can be on the outside looking in. And same thing with Ryan Newman in 20th. Ryan Newman made the playoffs last year with a win at Phoenix. Um, but that 31 car in Richard Childress Racing, other than the Daytona 500, we haven't seen a lot of speed out of that team this year. So I think Newman and Menard are two drivers you're looking at who a lot of people might have had in their playoffs in 2018 who are on the outside. I think if they don't pick it up here in the next couple of races, they're going to be on the outside as far as the playoffs are concerned. Well, the thing is with Paul Menard, and you think about it, they say about Ryan Blaney having the new team at Team Penske. No, Ryan Blaney has the Wood Brothers team from last year back with him at Team Penske. They just move shops. Paul Menard basically has a new team. They have the same cars, or they're still getting Penske support. They have the cars that Blaney ran with last year. And Paul Menard was always a, um, is it the equipment or is it him? And because Childress' equipment was running behind, you look at the difference between Kevin Harvick when he left Childress and went to Stuart Haas Racing. Kevin Harvick has a whole new career. I think he's won more races at Stuart Haas in the five years he's been there than he did the whole time at Richard Childress. And he was there 13, 14 years. Um, I really believe that Paul Menard is a cash cow. His family's a billionaire uh, home improvement chain in the Midwest. And part of the reason Paul Menard has that ride in the 21 is because his dad's sponsoring half the races in the 12 car. He's sponsoring a car for Roger Penske, an Indy car. And Roger Penske said, okay, if you're going to sponsor us for all this stuff, I'll find a ride for your son. I don't think Paul Menard is that great of a driver. I think he's got a good team with him. He's got a solid crew chief, but I don't think the uh, Paul Menard is a driver everybody thought he was. I mean, he's got the one win in Indy, and that was a gas mileage race. Yeah, and uh, I just think if that team doesn't pick it up soon, it's going to be um, no playoffs for him here in 2018. Uh, final thoughts on the Triple Eight. 
Drive for Autism 400 at Dover today. Well, I also think, Clayton, on the uh, drivers who, the way we look at it right now, have to win and, and maybe win often to get in the playoffs is Jamie McMurray. I mean, that team has just struggled all year long. They're, they're not even close to being in the playoffs the way they are. And today they finished, what, 16th, 17th, and that was probably a good day for them the way it's been this year. Uh, overall, when it comes to Dover, I love the track, always have. But the one thing with the way the package is for NASCAR's premier series right now, the package is really tough to pass. It is so aerodynamically sensitive. And one of the reasons that you watch the best races of the season are going to be at Martinsville, they're going to be at Richmond, and they're going to be at the road courses because they're short tracks. Same with Bristol. The aerodynamics don't mean as much there as it does everywhere else. And you think of Dover, it's a one-mile track, but that's a super high-banked, really fast one-mile track. I mean, they're turning 23-second laps there. So your aerodynamics have to be perfect. And you saw it if you uh, if you got a really good run on somebody and you got to their door, you weren't getting by them. It was going to take you a while to just keep pushing and pushing. And it was a follow-the-leader race. Once you got in the lead, it was going to be tough to beat you. There was some good racing mid-pack. I mean, they were always able to show racing for 13th, 14th, or 9th and 10th. But the top five, once they got strung out, there wasn't anybody catching Harvick. And Boyer had solid day, um, far enough ahead of Daniel Suarez that he wasn't sweating toward the end. I mean, but, I mean, you think about today at Dover. Kevin Harvick, Clint Boyer, and Kurt Busch, three Stuart Haas racing cars in the top five. That's never happened. Stuart Haas racing has not had three in the top ten yet. So, and then Eric Almirola was in 11th. That was a really good day for Stuart Haas. It continues to show the commitment and the team that Tony Stewart and Gene Haas has put together. And a lot of it is, you look, Gene Haas is putting his money in at heart because he's the primary sponsor on half of Kurt Busch's season, and he's the primary sponsor on probably three-quarters of Clint Boyer's season. So he's not just writing the check to get the team in to do what they need to do. He's writing the check to put his name on the front of the car to make sure it has everything that the driver needs. Yeah, it, it's interesting, and, and there's no doubt Ford has an advantage right now. And I want to ask you this question because um, I've seen a lot of chatter about it, and I think it, the chatter is going to pick up here in, in a couple of weeks if things don't change. Do you think there needs to be a rule change to, to make the, this a little bit more competitive as far as Chevrolet is concerned? Um, you know, obviously right now Fords are, are absolutely dominating Toyota's been there with two drivers with Bush and, and Truex, um, but Chevrolet has been out to lunch. Do you think there needs to be a rule change where Chevrolet, you can say, you know, NASCAR looks at the Chevrolet team and say, okay, what do you kind of want? What, um, you know, what can we do to help you guys? Uh, just to make the racing a little bit more competitive, what are your thoughts on that? I think NASCAR's backed away from that. I mean, if this was 10 years ago, um, and Ford would have a five-inch spoiler, Chevy would have a four, Toyota would have a four-and-a-half to um, make it what it was supposed to be because that's what Big Bill France would do. There would be a technical bulletin on Wednesday, and you had to adjust your car before you got there Friday. So there was a lot of work being done on these teams uh, Wednesday afternoon and Thursday so they could get to the track with what they needed to be to be within specs. I think the one thing it's shown is what looks good in the wind tunnel doesn't always transfer to the track because 
if you think about the wind tunnel numbers, there's probably a lot of difference. Uh, Chevrolet probably has great wind tunnel numbers or they wouldn't have put that car on the track. See with Toyota. Ford probably has the worst wind tunnel numbers of the three teams. I think what goes into it is Rodney Childers knows how to build adjustability in the car of Kevin Harvick. Mike Booger-Ravich and Clint Boyer are starting to connect, and you see one year of growing pains with them, and this year they're they're running great. Um, Billy Scott and uh, Kurt Busch are doing well together. And, I mean, hell, Billy Scott's probably ha- happy to have a driver give him feedback instead of saying, somebody's wrecking me. And um, John Kleishauser, uh, who won the race with Kurt Busch whenever Tony Gibson had uh, gallstones, um, or no, Tony Gibson was suspended for, for the lug nut violation. He won a race with Kurt Busch at Pocono. He's done really well with Eric Almarola, and I think Eric Almarola has done a lot to bring you the Stuart Haas team. But I think the wind tunnel is a heck of a lot different than on the track. You can have the best wind tunnel numbers in the world, and it doesn't translate. Because when you put 40 other cars around you, the wind, the air is so much different, and it's just not conducive to the way things are going right now. But I think Chevy's stuck with what they got because, I mean, if you're going to change the nose or change something on it, you have to present it to NASCAR before the season. And I haven't seen them change a rule in the middle of the season in, what, five years now? And I don't think they're going to start now because the RTA is going to bitch and moan and complain saying, hey, we didn't agree to this. No, I totally agree, John. And I think also, you know, I'm sorry, and, and, and I do want competitive racing. I'm not trying to say, well, ugh. Chevrolet, you made your bed. I mean, you created this car. You had an absolute uh, year and a half to produce this car, and now you're complaining that it's not competitive enough. Well, maybe the people who built this Camaro, if you don't think a Camaro right now with how it's, it's built is can be competitive enough to win races, maybe you need to look at your people in your organization, the people who designed this Camaro, and make some changes and say, you know what, let's, let's re- totally redesign a car, get NASCAR's approval, and see what we can do, because obviously they screwed up. Um, and again, we're, it's, it's early in the year, it's only 11 races, and you're right. 11 more races, we'll be at 22 races, four races before playoffs, and we'll probably see Chevrolet win some races this year. But, you know, I'm hearing, I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that people are saying, well, Ford, you know, Jimmy Johnson today on the, on the broadcast before the race saying, complain about the rules. You can complain about the rules all you want, but blame yourselves. Blame the people in Chevrolet for building this race car. If it's not competitive, that's on you guys. That's on the people who built this race car. So guess what? Plan B. It's not like NASCAR said to you, you have to, you have to build this car. You have to put this car in there. You came up with this. You could have ran the SS. You could have ran another race car. You decided to come up with the Camaro because you thought that would be the most competitive race car. And you struggled with it. And I'll do the same way about Ford next year if Ford struggles with the Mustang. So, um, you know, I'm tired of hearing that. So, um, you know, Chevrolet's got some work to do. There's no doubt about it. They've got to keep working and get better. And I hope they do. I hope it's competitive by the time we get to the middle of the season. But, right, I don't want to see any rule changes at all because this is the bed Chevrolet made when they committed, created this Camaro. 917-889-8280. Talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you tonight. It was a triple-header weekend this weekend at Dover. NASCAR Xfinity Series race ran on Saturday. Uh, one main financial 200. Justin Allgaier was your winner. He beat out teammate Elliot Sadler. Daniel Hemrick was third. Then it was Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, Johnny Sauter, uh, something for Spencer Gallagher, Noah Gregson, Matt Tift, Austin Sindrick, and Brandon Jones rounded out the top ten today. 
or uh, Saturday at Dover International Speedway for the Xfinity Series race. Justin Allgaier took home $100,000. Uh, what were your thoughts quick on the Xfinity Series race at Dover? I think the package the Xfinity Series cars runs make it more conducive to side-by-side racing. I thought the finish was phenomenal where you had Elliot Sadler and Justin Allgaier who were teammates, but they were bouncing off each other. Uh, Allgaier bounced off the wall, and they wound up crossing the finish line within, what, a tenth and a half of each other. It was a really close finish. It was phenomenal racing on then. The sad part is we're done with the dash for cash, and we're going to probably have six or seven cup drivers in the field next week. So right now, instead of saying Justin Allgaier beat out Elliot Sadler with Daniel Hemrick in third next week, we're probably going to say Kyle Busch beat out um, Kyle Larson with Brad Kozlowski in third because the cup drivers will be back now that the dash for cash is over, and it's going to lower the racing. Um, I think it, it, the dash for cash bringing out where there were no cup drivers allowed, I think it showed that there are a lot of Xfinity Series drivers who can do the job, who can win races, who can run competitively, and I think it shines a light on them instead of saying, okay, here's a truck, here's the five cup drivers and everybody else. And that's what it turns into at the end. Yeah, about that. no, that's what it turns I, I into at the end of the race. I, I totally agree, John. I think for the people who were naysayers about the cup guys, you know, banning the cup guys out of the Xfinity Series, I think these four races prove that, that that is kind of a moot point. You, you know, um, it sounds like Steve O'Donnell with a tweet this week, sounds like NASCAR is leaning, leaning towards really taking the cup guys out um, substantially more. I don't know if that's full-time or not, whether they're going to do 10 races next year or what the deal is, but um, unbelievable last four races. I think it helps these guys get more exposure. Justin Allgaier gets exposure, which is huge, um, and and maybe takes a sponsor. You know, he had a new sponsor this week with some site one landscape supply, and they might say, hey, let's go cup race with Justin Allgaier next year if they want to do that. Um, it just gives these guys more exposure. Same thing with Sadler and Hemrick. We know these guys are running up front. People are talking about them, and you're right. When these cup guys come down in cup equipment, you know, the best they can finish is fourth or fifth, and you sit there and you go, I, I almost feel for these guys. So um, I agree with you. I think Dash or Cash was great. It gives more recognition to um, the Xfinity Series guys, and, and I, I loved it. I think um, it's a step in the right direction. You get these guys more exposure it becomes sort of a – really, I think what, the, what hurts the Xfinity Series is there's no identity there right now um, because there were so many cup – it was sort of, you know, uh, basically cup light, and there's no, there was no exposure. But now you move to um, an, an identity of guys like the Truck Series have where we have certain drivers who run for full-time in that series – who are veterans, and then you have the, the the young kids who are trying to make a name for themselves and get up there and run against each other. And it was a lot of fun to see um, these last four races. Now, we won't see that again until the playoffs start when the Cup guys are banned there as well. But I think it was awesome to see. It was a preview. It was good to experiment with this. And um, I'm happy that we, we were able to see these four races. I think it was awesome to see. Well, it's nice to see, uh, like, I think the lowest finisher of anybody who won the dash for won a dash for cash hundred thousand dollar bonus. I think the lowest finisher was I think fourth or fifth because, but Elliot Sadler got beat by three Xfinity regulars, not by 
Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Larson. He got beat by three Xfinity Series guys who weren't in the playoffs before or who weren't in for the dash or cash. Um, I mean, heck, there was one race, Ryan Priest, I mean, he should have been able to be in for the dash for cash, but, I mean, his schedule's so limited. And that's one of the things I hope this does uh, with starting to weed out the cup drivers. I hope it gives a shot for someone like Ryan Priest, who's shown every time he stepped foot in Joe Gibbs' equipment that he can take it to the front. I mean, what's his worst finish for Joe Gibbs Racing? Seventh? I mean, you've got to love that kind of performance. Um, I think it's phenomenal the way it's worked out. But then again, this week, you know what we're going back to. And I hope down the road that the Xfinity Series gets a chance to have the identity of its own and starts getting the cup drivers out of there and let them – the cup drivers run Sunday, the Xfinity drivers run Saturday. And, I mean, if you think back when – and they said, well, we've always had this. We've always been able to do what we do. I mean, there's always been cup drivers popping down. Well, when Dale Earnhardt would run the Xfinity Series race way back when it was the Bush Series – Dale Earnhardt ran Dale Earnhardt Incorporated car, which is built in a garage in his backyard. Same with Mikey when he ran the 99 Aaron's car whenever he first started it. Mark Martin started uh, doing with Bill Davis and then wound up, Roush wound up coming in and doing it that way. But a lot of these cup drivers back in the day when they would drive the Xfinity series, it wasn't like they were driving for their own their own cup team. I mean, Jimmy Spencer, whenever he was running for junior Johnson, he would run for James Finch in the Xfinity series. So it's like you're driving for somebody else and it's not the same uh, engineering group and the same having the cup resources just being fed down to the Xfinity series. Um, One of the things that I heard, I mean, you've heard everybody say when it comes down to it is, and this is a legitimate point and this goes back to, we've talked about it ad nauseum, about the business model. Kyle Busch, the sponsorship he brings to that 18 car helps keep that car moving. They get a heck of a lot more money when Kyle Busch is on the, in the driver's seat that helps fund the other uh, 25 or 26 races that Kyle Busch isn't in the car. And that's one of the things that hurts the teams. I don't see a major difference in attendance with or without the cup drivers in there over the last four races. And I don't think I've seen much of a dip in a tent in uh, TV ratings. So it's not like they say, well, the TV, the drivers, the cup drivers move the needle when it comes to the turnstiles and the ratings on TV. I don't think I've seen either of them. I agree. And, and I also, um, you know, but I think with that point, that's a good point you brought up, but I think, if there's cup guys, if they don't have the option of running, I don't think the sponsor's going to say, well, we're not, we're not going to want to sponsor at all if we don't get a big-name driver. They're going to say, okay, we'll try it. The fact that they can they can run in the series, of course the sponsor's going to say, I'd rather have a cup guy than an Xfinity Series guy. But if they don't have that option, I'm not sure they're going to sit there and go, nah, I don't want to be on a part of it. They'll go, okay, we'll live with it. We'd like to have a cup guy but we'll live with it now. I don't know. I don't want to race team, and, and I don't know that for a fact, but um, I think that's something that, uh, you know, not having the option of a cup guy might might be beneficial to a team. Um, and also, you know, like you talk about in the 90s, these races weren't as frequent as far as companion events. We have 27 or 33 events that are companion to cup series. You know, that wasn't like that at all. Um, it was probably closer to 60% back in the 90s. So the frequency of, 
Cup drivers running in the Xfinity Series uh, has gone up substantially, no doubt about that. Real quick, want to just review the Truck Series race. Johnny Soto was your winner. Crafton finished second. Justin Haley third. Then it was David Gilland, Harrison Burton, Cody Coughlin, Joe Nemechek, Ben Rhodes, Jesse Little, and Todd Gilland, the top ten uh, for the Truck Series. Really a race dominated by Johnny Sauter, Jake's 200. Uh, he led 137 of 210 laps. Noah Gregson finished 20th. He led 60 laps, crashed with two laps to go, uh, running with Sauter for the lead. Real quick, your thoughts on the Truck Series race at uh, Dover on Friday afternoon. And, and Noah, Noah Gregson said he made a mistake racing with Sauter for the win that caused the accident. So, I mean, you got to like it when a young guy steps up and says, hey, it's my fault, I tried, and tried to get too much out of the truck that wasn't there. Uh, Sauter's dominant at Dover. He's been dominant with GMS. He's running really well. And I think Sauter um, had a really good weekend. He was respectable in the Xfinity car. It's the first time he's been in the Xfinity car since, what, 2012 or something like that. Um, he had a good day substituting for Spencer Gallagher who uh, definitely has my vote for the stupidest person in NASCAR. Well, he's in the top two of the stupidest person in NASCAR this week. Um, but, I mean, I think it was a good day for Johnny Sauter. I like the truck race at Dover. Um, but the thing is, again, even though the trucks are more – they have the tendency to run better together cars do, than the cup cars do or even the Xfinity cars, but it just seemed like all weekend long, especially with the truck series, once Johnny Sauter got in clean air, he was gone. Absolutely, and, and Sauter, um, he is, you know, gearing up again for another great playoff run in that 21 truck. He's just been great this year. Uh, another great year for Johnny Sauter and GMS Racing. I mean, he's really been the breadwinner, and you can say all you want about GMS Racing having a great program, and they really do. But uh, Sauter has been unbelievable. Finished second in the points last year. Uh, won the championship in 2016, and he's got two wins in five races this year so far, four top ten finishes. Uh, just absolutely proven to everybody that he can still get it done behind the wheel and a, a great job. A couple of call-outs I want to give the people. I think Joe Nemechek ran very good uh, as a veteran, and uh, David Gilland ran really good. Nice to see Justin Haley have one of his best runs of his career in the truck series. Also, Jesse Little. Jesse Little was fighting for a top uh, three run. He had some issues on pit road ended up ninth. Those guys, nice to see. Uh, overall, John, what was your thoughts on Dover uh, for the overall triple header weekend? I think the best race was the Xfinity race. Um, but, I mean, again, it's one of those ones, Dover's like that because it is aerodynamic sensitive. It is very fast, and you need to be able to make your car stick. You need to be able to make it go top lane, bottom lane, and you got to be able to find a way to get in the middle every now and then. But once you get clean air, you're gone. And that's part of the problem the pa- with the package of almost all the series. Whenever you hit the mile and a half, or the mile, mile and a half, any any race where the average speed for qualifying is over 150 mile an hour, it's all aerodynamics and it's all um, getting clean air and you're gone. Absolutely, and we thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. We'll see you next time here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. <laughs>